Hello, how are we? We're doing well? Yeah? So um, Craig said to say hello to everyone um, and that he is um, actually is actually kind of disappointed he wasn't going to be able to um, be with us today, So, um, which he said he wasn't surprised about because he thought one Sunday shouldn't really matter, but he said when he rang me this morning, he was like, actually, kind of wish I was there. So he said to say hello to everyone. They're having a really good time, um, which is good. Madison is dragging him everywhere. He has not slept. Um, so, yeah, and she's just got him dragging him just all over the place. And so that's really cool. Um, and I was really proud of Maddie. Like, if you know her, you know she's a little bit of an introvert. And um, so what happened was the youth leaders came up to her and they invited her to go out for lunch. And I was really shocked, but she went. And like, because normally she just, she just wouldn't do that. And so she went off to, to lunch. But she said what was funny was she's sitting next to this American girl and this girl says to her, I have only ever met two other New Zealanders before. And she named them and Madison said, they're actually two people I know. So she said, it's a small world. Really, it's not as big as we think. So that was quite funny. She said, yeah. So uh, it was, um, that was quite enjoyable. So they're back on Thursday. So um, that'll be really cool. Um, Craig uh, will be speaking on the Sunday. So uh, make sure you get along. So we, we were really blessed to have Pastor Mike Coe last week. Um, he had spoken at the uh, CRC conference um, and he stayed around and that was really awesome. The only glitches, it meant that Craig couldn't finish the Hello, It's Me series. So I have now been tasked with finishing that, um, which will be interesting because he just goes here and hands me the notes. So we'll see what happens. So because it's been, um, since it's been uh, five weeks, oh, actually one thing I need to tell you before I forget is that we won't be doing next steps today because Craig took all the notes with him and um, he forgot his charger, so he can't charge his laptop to be able to send them to me. So um, thankfully, though, this month has got five Sundays, and it's only a four-week um, program. So we won't be doing next steps today, but we will start next week. So yeah, so sorry, apologize for that. All right, so in week one, we talked about getting ready to hear, and we realized that God doesn't have a speaking problem. We actually have a listening problem. And the first thing we had to do is make sure that our hearts were prepared. And we looked at the scripture in Luke chapter 8, which talks about the parable of the seeds, which for some reason, I do not understand why, but I've heard several messages on this being about tithing, and it's totally not. So I don't quite know why people think it's about tithing. This is actually a message about God speaking to us. This is a parable about how our hearts need to be prepared. So the first one we looked at is that um, we could have a deaf heart. And if our heart is deaf, it means that our self-talk is louder than what God is saying. And it's louder than what the Word of God is saying. Then we looked at the distracted heart. And that's a heart that, that has allowed our circumstances. Now, these circumstances can be good or they can be bad, but we allow those circumstances to wither away the Word of God in our life. Then we looked at the immature heart. And that's the heart that we have where we've neglected our personal growth. You see, we may be saved. We may be um, having made a commitment to, to be with Jesus and to walk with Jesus. And, but the problem is, is that we actually haven't done anything about that personally. So we're saved, but that's it. And that's a heart that's neglected the Word of God. And then we have the prepared heart. 
And this is what we're aiming for. We want a heart that is focused on God, uh, one that's focused on hearing his voice. That's the heart that will hear God. Does that make sense? Hopefully you all remembered that. Week two we did is he speaks to me. And we looked at the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3 where we talked where it was about Samuel first being spoken to by God. And at first he didn't recognize God's voice. And so several times he got up thinking it was Eli and it wasn't, it was actually God. The cool thing about this is that it lets us know that God is always speaking to us. And if we miss it, it's okay, he's going to keep talking. And I actually really like that because I know I've missed it, but he keeps speaking to us. So that was the, uh, that was the second week. And the third week was called Whispers. And we talked about the three reasons why God speaks to us. The first one is that he speaks to facilitate a friendship. See, he wants to have conversation with you. He wants to be your friend. He doesn't just want to be someone that you go to when you need something. He wants a personal, intimate connection with you. The second thing is that he speaks to give us guidance so that we can walk in the right way. And then the third thing is that he speaks to give us perspective so that we are led by what God says and not by what we see. And he whispers to us, and he speaks and whispers so that we have to be close to him. Because if he's whispering and you're far away, you're not going to hear him. So the fact that he whispers to us is to make sure that we keep close and we keep connected. And then that, of course, leads us to today, which is week four, which is about recognizing God's voice. So we're going to look, first of all, at our... At our key scripture that we've been using. The key scripture we've been using through the whole series is John 10 verse 3 to 5. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. There are a couple of things about this key passage that you need to understand. First of all is that Jesus quite often spoke in parables, particularly in the book of John. And he spoke in parables because he needed us to understand something. And in this particular parable, Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And the reason why he's talking like this is he wanted us to see and understand the nature of our relationship with him. I love the thought in verse 3 where he says, He calls his sheep by name. It's not that he gathers us as a group. He doesn't say, hey, all of you guys. He doesn't do that. What he does is he makes it personal and he makes it intimate and he calls you by your name individually. You're not just one of the crowd to him. You are unique and special and individual and he knows who you are. And I love that. And we are to follow him and he leads us. One of the things that if, if I mean, in New Zealand, we see them driving sheep. And so what happens in New Zealand is the sheep are in front and we come up behind them and we drive them forward. That's not what happens in Israel. That's not how they herd sheep in Israel. In Israel, what they do is they have a lot smaller flocks for starters, but what they do is they, the shepherd actually walks out in front and the sheep follow. They don't have to drive them. They actually do know the names of their sheep because if they happen to notice that a sheep isn't following along, they can call the sheep by name and the sheep will actually come. It's actually quite a a really cool thing to see. The other thing is that we need to understand is that there are strangers' voices talking to us all the time. 
The number one stranger's voice, stranger voice that you're going to hear is going to be the enemy. It's going to be the devil. And we need to understand the difference and see if it's God speaking or if it's the enemy speaking. And quite often, you're going to have to learn to tell him to be quiet, shut up, go away, and actually stop listening. I have it happen to me quite often, particularly before I'm about to preach. In fact, it usually starts in the morning. And this morning, it started at about 6.30. And I could hear this voice just, you know, it's going to be bad. You're going to get up there, and no one's actually going to pay any attention to what you're saying because all they're going to see is how big you are. So you should just not preach. You should just call in sick. And this happens to me every single time. And every single time, I have to go, what has God said? Because that's not what God says. God says, and I have to list it to myself. And then I sit in the service. Usually by the third song, I start to hear it again. I'm like, I've got to shut this down because I've got to focus on what God's asked me to do, not on what the enemy's telling me to do. And so I have to learn to listen to the voice of God and not listen to the enemy, even when maybe what the enemy's saying is probably right. So I take a deep breath and I get up here anyway. So you have to learn to shut out what the enemy says and you have to listen to what God says. Now, this is actually only a snapshot. Like the, this whole series, these, these four weeks, is just a snapshot on what is actually really an important, intricate subject. So there are two books that, that have been used to help write this series. So what I, what I really encourage you guys to do is to get a hold of them and read them. The first book is Whisper by Bill Hybels, and the second book is Frequency by Robert Morris. I'm a really big believer in the fact that you need to be growing yourself personally. If you are going to rely on only attending church on a Sunday to grow, you're not going to grow very far. You have to take personal responsibility. You see, when you get to heaven, God's not going to say to you, how many times did you attend church? What he's going to say is, what personal journey did you go on? How did you grow yourself? You see, God's not going to ask me how I grew you. He's going to ask me how I grew me. He's going to ask you, how did you grow you? You have to take personal responsibility. You have to start growing yourself. Does that make sense? So I highly recommend it. Grab a hold of them. You, they're actually also available on audio, so you can actually just listen to them if you're not good with reading. But you need to start growing yourselves. So now that we are listening to God, now that we've prepared our hearts and we're getting ready to actually hear from him, how do you know if it's God? How do you know if it's the devil? How do you know if it's yourself? Or how do you even know if it's the pizza you ate the night before? I don't know about you guys, but I find that sometimes I dream some weird stuff after I eat too much cheese. It's, it's shocking. But how do we know? How do you know that you're actually hearing from the voice, hearing the voice of God? I remember a very long time ago uh, when Craig and I, we, we, we were working at the same church together. And we were best friends. Before anything romantic happened, we had become best friends. We were serving in the youth ministry together. We were doing a lot of stuff together. And, and everybody used to say to us all the time, you guys should get married. <laughs> oh, you guys should actually start dating and get married and blah, blah, blah. And we were just like, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to happen. I don't want to ruin a really good friendship by, you know, introducing romantic feelings. Anyway, kind of things happened. And, and we decided that, yep, we're going to pursue this in a romantic way. And we had this rule at our church that if you were embarking on a romantic relationship with anyone, you had to submit it to your leaders. You had to go and just let your leaders know. So we went to our youth pastor, and this was on the Friday, because youth in those days for us was on a Friday night. We went to him in between the, the prayer meeting and the, and the actual um, youth service, and we said to him, just wanted to let you know that we're changing the nature of our relationship and, it, and it's becoming a romantic relationship. And the youth pastor was like, oh, all right then, anyway, 
On the Saturday, we get a phone call, and he, well, I should say Craig got a phone call, and he says, you need to, you and Trinity need to come and see me after the service on Sunday. And we're like, oh, okay, that's all right. So off we went, and, but he wanted to see us in his office. And you've got to understand, our youth pastor hated his office. He was never in his office, so we knew something must be up because he's asked to see us in his office. We go into his office, and he sits us down. He's doing the behind the big desk thing, and, and he starts launching into the reasons why our relationship is wrong. The reasons why this was not going to work. And he pointed out how, yes, well, we're, you know, we're actually, we're actually going in totally different directions with God. And, you know, we might be compatible here, but we're not compatible there. And really, we just need to, you, you got to understand though, that this, this particular youth pastor was known for having words of knowledge and words of wisdom and being, and so when he spoke like that, people would listen. And I'd only been saved about 18 months or so at the time. And so I was at that stage where whatever the pastor said, I did. So I was kind of like, oh, okay. Like ready to to completely dissolve our relationship and just go back to being friends. And and Craig, Craig, having grown up in church and probably had a bit more wisdom, and he said, while I thank you for what you've said, I think you're wrong. He goes, and I just want to let you know that I wasn't asking your permission. I was just telling you. And then he went. You can see Craig saying that, right? And then he went and spoke to the most godly man he knows. He went to his father. And he said, Dad, this is what the youth pastor has said. This is, you know, what do you, what do you think? And his father goes, no, no, you guys are all right. He goes, you know, your mother and I saw this coming. We've been praying. It's actually good and blah, blah, blah. Funnily enough... That particular youth pastor, when we actually announced our engagement, was probably more excited than we were. And uh, he ended up by being a groomsman in the wedding. And, and, you know, 24, we've been married for 24 years now. And obviously, his initial impression was wrong. Now, you might be thinking, well, Trin, that should never take place in the church. That sort of, you know, God saying and God implying that God had said, that should never take place. You know what? It actually has to take place in the church. Because we're never going to get it right all the time. You may think that you've heard from God, and you would have, and then you might think that you've heard from God, and maybe you get it wrong. And that's actually okay, because in the ebb and flow of church life, this is actually the best place for that to happen, because you've got other people around you who can help when that happens. You know what? Even Peter messed up. He completely got it wrong. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to them, Who does everybody say that I am? He's talking to his disciples, and he says to them, who are the people saying I am? And, and they said, well, some are saying, you know, you're prophets of old, and some are saying that you're Elijah. And, and then Jesus goes, okay, well then, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, whoa, Peter, that's amazing, because you know what? I didn't tell you that. That was revealed to you by God. God spoke to you, and you got that, and, and you heard from God, and that's amazing. And then about... A minute later, Jesus is talking about going to the cross and how he has to die. And Peter jumps up and he goes, no, 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 you can't die. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He went from hearing from God and two minutes later, completely not hearing from God. So even the best of us are going to screw it up. And that's okay. It's going to happen. But how then... How do, we, how do we stop that from happening? How do we make sure that before we open our mouth and say stuff, that it is actually God? What do we need to do about that? In 1 John 4, it says, 
Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Did you see? Did you notice the use of the word spirits, the plural use, but test the spirits? That's because there will be the Holy Spirit speaking and there will be other spirits speaking to you. As a pastor and a leader, hearing someone come to me and say, God spoke to me, is actually some of the scariest words and normally has a really scary conversation that I have to have with the person. Now, I'm not saying that God can't speak to you. God speaks to everybody. But what, what I find happens is that people come to me and they'll go, God spoke to me and God said, and then usually it's something that God probably hasn't said. I know of a guy who came and he said, God spoke to me that I need to leave my wife and I need to get a, uh, marry this girl at my work. Yeah, that wasn't God. I'm pretty confident that that's not God. See, there was a spirit speaking, but it certainly wasn't the Holy Spirit. So Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. See, this guy had this view that God wants him to be happy, and people say that all the time, God wants me to be happy. There is not one verse in the Bible that says God wants you to be happy. Not one. God actually doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. And it is through holiness that you will find happiness. You see, if you are searching just for happiness, it will make you miserable. I know that there was a, a movie that Will Smith did called The Pursuit of Happiness. And while it seems like a great idea that we should be pursuing happiness, happiness is fleeting. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. Happiness is depending upon things going the way that you want them to go. What we actually need to seek is joy. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is through joy that you are able to get through all these things. So you know what? God doesn't want you happy. He wants you holy. And he wants you joyful. Does that make sense? So what are we going to do about that? How do we know then when God is speaking? Do you know how we know? We're going to apply a filter. We need to filter what we think it is that God's saying. And once it goes through the filter, if on the other side of the filter what is left is God, then absolutely God is speaking. There are actually four filters that, that you should use. And I don't recommend just using one, although you probably could. I would recommend using all four. And if at the end of the time you've filtered through these things through all four, then yeah, God has spoken and you can feel confident and you can stand up and say what he's been saying. So the first thing that you have to know is that did it line up with the Bible? Because God's voice will never contradict God's word. Never contradict God's word. If it's not in the Bible, God's not saying it. Does that make sense? I want to talk briefly about the church has done some, some really dumb things over the decades. And one of the things I think that the church has done really badly is that it picks on certain sins or things that it considers to be sinful or bad behavior. One of the things it's done that with is divorce. Now, I just want to take a moment and just say this. If you are in a situation where you are being abused physically or emotionally or mentally, you need to leave. God did not put you on this planet to be anybody's punching bag or to be um, to be a doormat. 
So if you are in that situation, the church has taught us that we need to stay in those relationships, and that is wrong. That is never God's intent for you. See, God hates divorce. The reason why he hates divorce is because it hurts you. But you know what? Staying in that situation where you're abused hurts him just as much. So I want to make sure that you understand. I'm not, I'm not picking on divorce. I know some people who have been divorced, and they are, to be quite frankly, better off for it. And you know what? God can redeem. God can restore. God can heal. So I'm only picking on this particular scripture, though, because it kind of fits a lot easier with, with what I want to prove about it has to line up with the Bible. Matthew 19.3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read? He replied. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female. goes on. But did you notice? Jesus didn't actually answer that question. They said, is it lawful for a man to do this? And he said, haven't you read? Haven't you read? You see, it's not about the opinion. Jesus is saying, why are you asking my opinion on this when it's very clearly stated in the Bible? Haven't you read? There are a lot of things that 20 or 30 years ago that we would call sin that suddenly now the church is no longer calling sin. And I have people come to me and they ask my opinion on these things all the time. What happens is you're gonna, my opinion is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what I personally think about these things. What matters is what the Bible says about these things. And the answer you will get from me is always going to be a paraphrase of what the Bible says. Because haven't you read? Haven't you read? Luke 21, 33. And, through all heaven and, and, and though all heaven and earth shall pass away, yet my words remain forever true. People quite often take the Bible out of context. They will take one verse and make it fit whatever they want. It happens all the time. And you know what? You can, if you want the Bible to agree with your particular stance, you can find any scripture and pretty much get it to do that. What we have to do is apply a theological strategy, which is called the whole counsel of God. And what that means is that you have to take everything that God says about that subject throughout his whole entire word to get an overview about what God meant. God believes about it, what God says about it. You have to take the law of first mention. The law of first mention is wherever it was mentioned first in the Bible and in that context is how God intends for it to be applied. So you have to do all this. And when we don't do that, that's when we get people taking scriptures out of context. I once had a, heard a preacher say that he could prove that there will be no woman in heaven. The reason why he said that is there's a scripture that says that in heaven there will be complete silence for 30 minutes. Gather there's not going to be any preachers in there either. In fact, you can take anything from out of the Bible. In fact, the devil did it to Jesus. In Matthew 4 and in Mark 4, when he's tempting Jesus, what he said to him was, doesn't it say in the Bible, doesn't the Bible say this, doesn't the Bible say that? But each and every time Jesus responded with, it is written, it is written, it is written. Got to make sure that what you're hearing lines up with the Bible. You need to know your Bible so you know that it does or it doesn't. The second thing is, will it make me more like Christ? If what I'm thinking, if the plan that I've got, if the action I'm about to do, will it make me more like Jesus or will it make me less like Jesus? You see, that's our goal after salvation. Our goal after salvation is to be more like Jesus. Do not make this your goal before salvation. 
That doesn't work. That can never happen. You can never make yourself good enough. You see, what happens is you have to meet Jesus, you fall in love with Jesus, you submit yourself to Jesus, and then he begins to work on your life. But this only happens after salvation. You don't have to become a Christian to clean up your act. You clean up your act after you become a Christian. Does that make sense? Yeah? See, once you get saved, once you're a Christian, you then have to work out your salvation. Salvation is free. You can be saved and then never do a thing again. But to become more like Christ, to become more like Jesus, is the natural um, overflow of our relationship with him. Because we know him, we want to be like him. God is at work in your life constantly once you're in that relationship. You know what? I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I was. It's a constant journey. And here at CFC, there are actually two ways that we can help you do that. The first one is by attending the Next Steps program. That will actually help lay a foundation. If you have not done it, I encourage you to do it. Or maybe you did it, but you kind of forgotten what it was about. I encourage you to get, get involved and do it again. The second way that we do that is by groups. We have small groups. We have serving groups, and we just have connect groups. And those are another way that you can actually work on growing and becoming more like Jesus. Philippians 2.5 says, In your lives you must think and act like Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought, every impression, every idea, every what if this is what God's saying, and we make it obedient to Christ. See, if you followed through on what you're thinking, if you followed through on what you're planning, if you followed through on what you're going to say, will it make you like Jesus? That is what we need to think about. You might be saying, oh, but I'm, I'm Trin, I'm, I'm a really new Christian, or, or I haven't been a Christian long enough to understand some of this stuff, so I don't even know what Jesus would do in those situations. There's this really cool passage in James chapter 3, which gives you a kind of a guide. And it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If I do this, will I be more pure? If I send, if I follow through on that action, will it, is it considerate? If I send that email, is it more peace-loving? And in my experience with emails, probably not. And this passage gives us clarity on what Jesus will do, and it's a really good filter to make sure that what you're hearing is of God. The third thing is, does godly counsel agree? Firstly, it needs to be godly. And this might upset some of you, but you have friends who are not Christians or you have friends who are immature Christians. And when you go to them with a problem that you have, when you go to them seeking advice, if they are ungodly people, you are not going to get biblical godly advice. You're going to get worldly advice that's not going to do you much good. You need to make sure that the person you are seeking counsel from has a surrendered life to Christ. Secondly, what happens is sometimes you might get people, godly people who have differing opinions. When that happens, you need to seek agreement because it says, does godly counsel agree? Do they agree? 
quite often what we do is, is because we understand and we believe in the power of agreement, when we're leading this church, when we've got decisions to make, Craig and I will look for agreement from our leaders. We will look for agreement from the um, oversight, the episode council. We will look to, for agreement. And when we have that agreement, we move forward in, in purpose and in confidence. When we don't have that agreement, we will wait. We will wait until we know what's going on or where God wants us to be. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to the advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's purpose, it's the Lord's purpose that avails, prevails. Proverbs 24, 6. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Now, I'm not talking about going around asking so many different people for advice, waiting to find the person that agrees with you. I know a, um, a pastor once shared a story about he had a guy come into his church and came to him and said, I need you to pray in faith with me because that woman over there, God's told me she's going to be my wife. And he said, I've spoken to this person in your ministry team and that person in your ministry team and none of them are praying with me for this woman to be your, to be my wife. But God has said, so I need you to pray in faith with me. And he said, the pastor says to him, um, that woman is married. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be able to do that. So you don't go looking till you find someone who agrees with you. Cause you can do that. Eventually you're gonna find someone, but you need to be wise about these things. I remember when we were looking to become full-time pastors and we had this word that now was the season and there were four churches that we were looking at. Um, two were New Life churches, one was an AOG and one was a CRC church. And on the surface of these things, uh, one, of the, one of the churches was awesome because it was right by the beach. Another one of the churches was in a really pretty part of the South Island. Um, and another church had a really, really good financial offer. And we were at the point where we needed godly counsel. We actually didn't know which one God was calling us to. Well, we kind of had a vague idea. But looking at the circumstances, it didn't quite make sense to pick that one over the others. So, But what we did was we actually went to our senior pastor um, and his um, oversight team, and we submitted it to them. And we said, these are the offers we've had. This is kind of the one we're leaning with. But in light of the pros and cons list, it doesn't quite make sense. What was really cool was that he came back and said to us, this is the one to go to, and we ended up here at CRC. And the thing is, when you listen to godly counsel, when you hear godly counsel, you will have a sense of peace. Which brings us to number four, which is, do I have peace? You know what's different about Christianity than any other religion in the world? Is that we do not worship a God who is outside, who is external, but we worship a God who lives within us. Okay, I kind of thought you guys would be a bit more excited. Let me try this again. What is awesome about being a Christian in Christianity is that we do not worship a God who is up here, who is outside, who is external, but we worship a God who lives and abides within us. Okay, that was better. That was better. Honestly, I thought you guys would be super excited. In my head, this always goes so much better. You see, the Spirit of God lives in you. And that then produces a knowing, an understanding, a sense of peace when the things are going right. 
but it also produces within you a sense of disquiet or an uncomfortableness when they're not. We have this clash within us, and sometimes it's our own desires wanting to, to not do what God's leading us to do, not do what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. It's almost like, have you ever seen those cartoon pictures with the guy and he's got the angel on one side and a Mistopheles, you know, a demon on the other side? That's almost what it's like having. You have the Holy Spirit and then you have everybody else, which is yourself and the enemies, sort of speaking. But the way that you know when it's God is that sense of peace. And it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that goes beyond human understanding and beyond your circumstances. You have a knowing. You know that you know that you know. And the peace just sits. See, there's nothing in this world. There is no bottle. There is no drug. There is no job. There is no career. There's not enough money that will ever give you that sense of peace. The only thing you get that from is having the Holy Spirit living and abiding within you. And I follow that peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And there are times when that peace actually seems crazy in the, in the circumstances that you're in. When I was about eight weeks pregnant with Seth, oh no, actually I was probably about ten weeks pregnant with Seth, um, I was threatening to miscarry him the whole time, and in the end, that he, the doctor and the midwife said that I had to go on bed rest. I had to have 11 weeks bed rest, and they were like, if you want any chance of keeping this, this child, you cannot get out of bed. You can walk to the toilet, that's it. And I got to the point where I was like, I, done, I did it for a couple of weeks, and I was like, actually, I got up on Sunday morning, I'm going to church. And Craig's like, are you sure? They said you can't do that. No, I'm going to church because there has to be a measure of faith about what I'm doing. So I went to church. Now, I didn't stand during the praise and worship. I wasn't, I wasn't foolish, and I, and I sat. And I did that for three weeks in a row before my pastor came to me, and he said, Trinity, we're concerned. Why are you still coming to church? You know you have to have bed rest. You know you're not supposed to be leaving. And I, and I said to him, look, I just really felt God say that I had to have, I had to take a step of faith and I had to, you know, without God in this, I wasn't going to keep this child anyway. So I have to show him that I believe that he can do this. And I had a peace about it. He said he'd go away and pray about it. <laughs> and he came back and he had a peace about it afterwards as well. It was the only thing I did in those 11 weeks. The only place I went was to church on a Sunday morning. And I had a peace about it, even though the circumstances and the doctors and everybody else around me was saying to me, don't do this, I had to obey the peace of the Holy Spirit that was within me. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation we need to be saying, God, what are you saying to me? Every situation, no matter how small, no matter how big, how scary, how crazy, how dark, how wonderful. Because you know what? We should be doing this in the good things as well. What we say is, what are you saying to me? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, and this word understanding means human reasoning, so it transcends the pro and con list. It transcends what the doctors say. It transcends what would be right logical steps to take. It transcends all of that. So this understanding 
will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That word guard in the Greek actually means garrison. It means an army. So you will have an army guarding your heart, guarding your mind. See, I want you to live your life in such a way that regardless of what you face, that you will know that this garrison is going to guard your heart and mind. You know that God has got you. You are going to have this peace in your life, and you will know by that peace that God is with you. So when you take all four of these filters, when God speaks, you take all four of these filters, at the end of it, if you can walk away and go, yes, I have all those, then you know without a doubt that God has spoken. But there are just a couple of practical actions that I think we need to take. One of them is that you need to tune into God every day. Every day. The goal of your quiet time is not actually to read your Bible. The goal of your quiet time is to know who wrote your Bible. It's to, it's, the Bible is the only book in the world where the author has fallen in love with the reader. And that is what you need to do. You need to spend time with him. So you can know him. That's what the goal of your quiet time is. It's not about checklist, yep, I read that chapter, I'm moving on to the next one. It's not, that's not the goal. The goal is to know him. The goal is to know him. John, I want to look at, re-look at our key verse again, just before, just as we're closing. And John 10, 4, but we're going to look at it in the message version. And it says, when he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. How do you become familiar with someone's voice? You know, if Craig was to ring right now, any one of you in here, and he just went, hey, you'd all go, oh, who's this? But if Craig rings me and he just says, hey, and I haven't even seen who's called on the caller ID, I know it's him. I know it's him because I'm familiar with his voice. You need to become that familiar with God's voice that when he just says, hey, you know him because you spend time with him. You need to tune out the things that oppose God. There are voices that rise up in opposition to what he says all the time. There are voices that rise up in opposition to the things that he says in his word, and we need to tune them out. We don't get alongside them and agree with them. We don't stay silent. You actually have to tune them out. I don't watch nude scenes on TV programs. I'll skip them, fast forward them. I had someone come to me a few weeks ago and they're going, I don't have any problem watching nude scenes. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> it doesn't make you uncomfortable. Too often, particularly in our Western world, we are too comfortable with the secular things of this kingdom and not with the, they need to make you uncomfortable. They need to make you uncomfortable. You can judge how holy you're becoming by the fact that you're now dropping off some of these things. In verse 5 it says, They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Don't be familiar with the voices of this world and don't be familiar with the voices of the enemy. Only be familiar with God's voice. What he says is what we do. You've got to spend that time. The last thing is you need to take steps towards God has spoken. Oh, God spoke to me three years ago and I haven't heard from him since. Well, did you do what he said three years ago? Because why would he keep speaking if you haven't done what he said the first time? 
you've got to take steps to do what he says. I'm not a theological scholar, so I can't give you all the Greek definitions as to why these things are a great thing to do. And I can't give you the Jewish you know, interpretation as to how this applies to your life. But what I can tell you is my experience. When I spend time with God, when I spend time with my father, it's like I'm climbed up on his lap and he talks to me and he tells me how he loves me and he tells me how I'm special and he tells me how much joy he takes in me. And I love that. And when I spend time with Jesus, he tells me about how he saved me and what he did for me. He tells me of his grace and the mercy that he carries for me. And I love that because I will follow him anywhere. I've spent so much time with him in the last 29 years that I will follow Jesus anywhere. And then there's the Holy Spirit. He's my friend. Every day he guides me. Every day he says, no, let's not go there. That's not going to be good for you. And every day he leads me into the good things of God. He leads me into, into the love and the joy and the peace that God has for us all. But you can't do that if you're not spending time with him. My experience with God outweighs what the world tells me. My experience with God outweighs even what I say to myself. And that is my desire for you, is that each and every one of you is going to hear from God so that your experience will outweigh the circumstances around you. Does that make sense? Well, I think we need to actually do a practical application. So let's get to our feet. And we're going to take a moment. We're in your own way and in your own, own time. We're actually going to say, God, what are you trying to say to me today? Jesus, what are you speaking? And then we're going to take a moment. And I want you to be quiet and I want you to listen. Father, speak. God, what are you saying to us today? What would you have me know? God, I pray that your voice is clear, that each and every person here has heard, has felt, has known that God has spoken.
It may have been one word. <coughs> it may have been a sentence. It may have been a picture. It may have been a feeling. But we thank you, God, that you speak to us, that you still speak to us, that you will always speak to us.